Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. And let me welcome uh, the co-author of Radioactive, a memoir of advocacy in action on the air and in the streets, and that is Dr. Dave Canton, director of the African American Studies Program at the University of Florida, author of several uh, books. Uh, He also teaches courses on the modern civil rights movement, civil rights struggle in the North, history of the hip-hop, music, and culture, and introduction to African-American studies. And by the way, he is a host of of, of a podcast that we all just love the name, uh, the podcast for your punk ass, which examines race, uh, sports history, and politics. And 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 thank you so so much. Um, let, let let let's go to the genesis of uh, of why you 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 approached me. How many years ago was it about uh, putting this memoir together? Right, uh, writing this book. What was going What was going through your mind? Thank you. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Miss Sherry. Good morning, Sam, Daryl, and the team. Uh, I got the idea from a good friend of yours, uh, Dr. John Carlos. Um, I was director for the Center of Race and Ethnicity at Connecticut College, and his memoir, The John Carlos Story, co-written with Dave Zyron, another friend of ours, and I saw the book and the idea just sprang in my head. Wow, Joe Madison, all the work you've done, deserve a memoir and that's where the idea came from that was 2000 maybe eight or nine wow and that's yeah and then we first met 2011 uh when we met came down to dc it was during the omega sci-fi centennial uh in dc in july we had that conversation and that's that's when we first started 2011 it took some time was well worth it and and uh it for explain to people what? Why did it take time? What was going on? Well, right. So we could we like interviewing live. So I would come down to D.C. for a couple of days, take out my cell phone, and you know we'd have these conversations back and forth. So I think we just liked you know being in the presence of one another, just get a better interview when it's you know face to face. This again before Zoom. Uh, we could have done it over the phone, but we just decided that coming down to D.C. and going to you live is better. But as you know, both of our lives were busy. Things happened, but uh, we just remained committed to the cause because you have a great story to tell. And pretty much the idea also came from the book, all these stories you share numerous times on the radio show, let's put them in writing and have them in a book for people that they can read at their, le- at their leisure, on vacation, during break at work. And it's a great story for kids as well to learn about the history of civil rights in this country. Yeah, you know, one, I, I was teasing my grandchildren and I, I and my daughter, I, I said, you know, maybe I ought to do a comic book, <laughs> uh, a, a book, a, you know, illustration on the book. Now, the one daughter said, don't laugh that you, you really should consider that. And then yesterday, uh, Dr. Canton, I was watching a, a PBS special where John John Lewis uh, got with an illustrator. And they did a, uh, in in essence, I, they I hate to call it a comic book, but an illustration book for children. And uh, I said, well, it's not as crazy a, th- a thought as it is. Um, 
What are, what's been your res, your response? And then I'll tell you what I've been getting from uh, people who have read it and and uh, and I'll and you know what we'll, we can do? We'll take calls if people have have read it or reading it. Uh, you know, we can take your calls. Uh, uh, now I got Sharon from Texas calling back, and and we're not going. So Sharon, you might want to kind of cool out for a minute. But anyhow, um, uh, what re- what feedbacks are you getting? Well, I think I think for me, what's great about about the book is you know you, you teach African history, right, from right. Reconstruction to about let's say when Dr. King was assassinated, people kind of almost think history, quote unquote, stops. And that's where your story comes in, because it's post-civil rights America, right? And then all the names you mentioned, Benjamin Hooks, uh, uh, Jesse Jackson, Julian Bond, all these other figures, Rosa Parks. It's almost like a Rosa Parks 2.0 when you get with her in the, in the 80s in Detroit, you know, that I think that's what you fill in those gaps that history didn't stop after 68. The real work began because now you still have to register people in the North. Uh, you still have to do boycotts. The work still continued. And your story demonstrates that, you know, that the work continued after Dr. King's assassination and it, it fills in those gaps. Your work in Detroit, your, your work in Dayton, your work in D.C. And all those contemporary stories are now written in the book and they're historicized that we can read about Iran-Contra. You mentioned Oliver North. Yeah. You mentioned NAACP in the 90s. I think we tend to think that you have to wait 100 years to talk about stuff in the 90s, but the 90s are 30 years ago already. Yeah, I mean, when you a, a generation ago, correct, a, a generation ago. So, what's the feedback that you get? Well, feedback is everyone's enjoying the story. Um, you know, people that I've left in Connecticut who are, are loyal listeners are buying the book, and they're really enjoying hearing those stories and, and stuff they didn't know about you. You know, whether you, the football when you did the uh, radio for the St. Louis Cardinals, the football team. So, really enjoying those stories that you mentioned, but now they can sit down, read them think about them and then they can draw connections like your thing with Lerone Bennett's book before the Mayflower and how many African-Americans go through that transition where you didn't get the history through K through 12, but it's that one book, that one moment that really transformed your, your consciousness. And they've all liked that part of the book. Um, The, uh, the feedback that I'm getting uh, is the way you wrote it, and and we and we have to give credit to uh, the editors because it, it's got it's got to be difficult. Um, is it, it's um, the chapters are brief, and I think right. I, I think people appreciated that. And, and that was was that a conscious decision to make the chapters brief? Yes, because I also want something that's accessible. That uh, you know, I think the length is perfect. It's something that can get read within a week or two or whatever time. And coming from the historical world, you know, I'm used to 30, 40 page chapters. That was a transition for me to go to that. It's okay to have a chapter that's 10 pages, you know, so I had to, I, as you know, I had to deal with that personally, right? That for us, you know, on this other side, chapters usually 30, 40 pages. But again, with today's society with social media, all these different ways for entertainment, your ideas that like Ted talks to 18 minutes. I think this book is a perfect length and size ah. that people won't be intimidated by. They'll pick it up and they can read it within a week or two weeks. And there's not that pressure with the, even, even the size of the words makes a difference. You open up a book. If the writing's real small, you get frustrated. So I think this handles that for all oh, your you're listeners. Oh, you're talking about the, uh, the font. 
Correct. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. some books where it's real small. You look at that first page, you're like, uh-oh, you get frustrated. Well, you, our font is perfect. What, what story uh, or chapters, um, as you were putting it together, because we have not had this discussion, so I want everybody to know. I don't want people thinking I'm asking questions that I that I've known before, because this is the first interview we've done together. And I should point out we're going to be together in New York, uh, April 28th, is it? I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we're at the uh, at the uh, um, Sirius XM headquarters. Uh, we're we're going to do a town hall uh, uh, session and Sway is going to moderate. Uh, and so Dr. Kent and I will be together uh, and I assume it'll be open to some subscribers and uh, folks and, and the staff. But um, what if if you had to pick two or three uh, stories or that that caught your attention? Mm-hmm. What, okay. what would they be? Uh, I think definitely uh, your origin story. You know, I think as a historian, right, I think the genesis, where you started in Dayton, I think that with your grandparents' story about, uh, you know, when you made the road trips down south, I think that really resonated with me, you know, because I do 20th century African history, and your story just really encapsulates, you know, what Africans experienced at that time period. Even though you're in Dayton, as we know, it was segregated, which you pointed out in your book. We also look at, in terms of... Uh, the swimming pool, I think it's about the swimming pool where you will use as a test case to desegregate the pool. And of course, the chapter also deals with you going to the high school, right? Going to the to the uh, black high school and, and the black band. So really giving a good description of Dayton, Ohio, which blends in with our good friend, Dr. Scott Brown, his work on funk music. So I think that chapter there really resonated with me in terms of your experiences in Dayton, Ohio. And of course, the rest in peace, uh, Dr. Manning Marable, who grew, who grew up with you in Dayton. So it's almost like doing your story, there's so many names that we have that we are so familiar with and people that also don't know, we're both Geminis. You're June 16th, your birthday. I'm June 17th. You went to Morehouse for a minute. I graduated from Morehouse. So we have so many connections, which made working with you such a great, a great- I, uh, I went to Morehouse for less than a minute. Um, I, I, <laughs> that that was just another story, but you know the Dayton story, the YMCA. Um, yes, uh, it it was you, in retrospect, and that story. There are two. Most people may or may not know this. Younger generation, in most cities, there were always two YMCA's. Uh, there was a white, predominantly white that what black folk didn't belong to for whatever reason. And it wasn't always de jure segregation legal. It was de facto segregation. Um, And then in Dayton, there was a, what they call the fifth street YMCA. Now that was the YMCA for black folk in Washington, DC. There was a YMCA uh, that did same thing. And, and I didn't realize this at the time, but I, I think, I, and correct me if I'm, I, I can, I've got the book in front of me, Radioactive, but but I ended up uh, somehow getting a membership to the what we called the Downtown YMCA. And there were like two or three guys 
we're all kind of, you know, I think teenagers, probably, you know, we're 12, 13 at the time. And we we got them. All of a sudden, we find out we have a membership to the downtown all white YMCA. And later on, I found out it was because several prominent African American elected officials and and were going to integrate this YMCA. Now, this wasn't about standing out and picketing. Here are you guys, and here's your membership. And um, we didn't realize that. I mean, we just, oh, wow, we got a membership to the Y. And all of the, and we could access all of the, uh, all of the benefits of being in the downtown uh, YMCA. But it really was a test case. Right. And we just didn't, uh, we we just didn't realize it at the time. Uh, Because we, you know, and you got to understand, we're talking, like you said, you're talking early 60s. So the civil rights movement was raging primarily in the South. Correct. Um, uh, the, and 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 so it gives. I guess it does give people a sense, like you said, uh, of how doors were open, and often the younger teenagers were the ones, particularly in, uh, in the north, that had to go through those doors. Um, and talk about the um, uh, about the. Uh, there's the other about when Sherry had her stroke. And and uh, and and a lot of people don't know what happened in the uh, in the background. Is there it, it? But you were the one that had to uh, go through this. And was there any other thing that stood out? Yes. Yeah, so obviously, for those that don't know, your papers are down at the Amistad Research Center at Tulane University. So I took a trip to New Orleans, and I was there for about three or five days, looking up some photos and all other activities and what I ran into, I think your whole, uh, the, the boycott of Dearborn, Michigan. So again, we talk about Dayton. What you, now if your story was like in a Southern town, people would be more familiar with it, but it's in Dayton, Ohio. When you talk about a boycott in Dearborn, Michigan, if we said Dearborn, Mississippi, it'll be no problem. So again, bringing out this story to people, this historical story that, you know, fighting segregation was a national movement. So I definitely loved when I saw Rosa Parks in there, the Dearborn boycott. And this is, again, in the mid-80s. Again, that doesn't make most history textbooks. No. You know, so I think that's yeah. a story that, you know, so this is the mid-80s. This is Dearborn, Michigan, not Dearborn, Mississippi. This is Rosa Parks after Montgomery in the in the 80s. And we think of the 80s, again, you know, the 80s are 40-something years ago. We don't have to wait 100 years to talk about the 80s. I mean, that's that's history. Yeah. So I think you should share that story with a lot of younger well, listeners. Well, they, 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 and, and, and they've heard me talk about this, but we go in. What happened was the city of Dearborn, and it's ironic because now Dearborn is, within, what, 20, 30 years, has now become trans, a, a, a transformation. Dearborn was a predominantly white uh, city. I mean, right. it was less than 1% African-American. And it, of course, the home of Henry Ford and Ford Motor Company. Uh, a family, I think a, a family had, uh, and it was in neighborhood, and, and you walked across the street, you were in Dearborn, if you lived in Detroit. at one, at one You were in Dearborn. And 
I guess a family went to the park and uh, had a shelter, went to one of these picnic shelters. A resident of Dearborn came in raising hell. You cannot, you can't use these parks. And it happened to be an African-American family. They went and complained to the city council and the city council actually passed a law that it that non-residents of the city of Dearborn could not use the the public parks and it got into the newspaper and um all hell broke loose i mean well a, a friend of mine he i think uh, art featherstone and rosa parks and she was working for john conyers at a time which most people also didn't know and uh, he said, you know, well, let's just boycott the city of Dearborn. They had this big shopping center, huge regional shopping center. And people were spending big time money in Dearborn. And we called for a boycott. And, um, man, uh, it was an, a, a spontaneous reaction to it because Dearborn had this history. And uh, all hell broke loose. And for people who think that, you know, everybody was on board, I caught more hell from older black leaders <laughs> than I did from Henry Ford. Because Henry Ford picked up the phone, called the mayor, called, and the mayor called this person and that person, and you don't have permission to call a boycott. And I think that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's one of the chapters yes. uh, about... Um, about uh, Dearborn, and and I don't need your permission to call a a, a boycott. And right, uh, right. and man, and I mean, we went through, and Sherry was part of that. I think Sherry's listening. Sherry, you remember that, don't you? Yeah, there are only so many nightmares that you can forget easily, and that was a nightmare. So yes, I remember now, and it explain vividly. To, explain to people why it was a nightmare. Well, dealing with Coleman Young, number one, uh, who I think considered himself the goat of mayors, the greatest of all time mayors of, of uh, <laughs> Detroit, if nothing else, uh, and uh, a powerful union person, came out of the movement which should tell you something about him. I mean, he was pretty crude at times, crass, um, and did not, and, and had no problem using his power. So he is not somebody that most people want to work with, especially if he's upset about something. And saying with uh, Mayor Dearborn calling him and Henry Ford calling him, uh, expressing their dismay, uh, upset him tremendously, and it was very difficult. I mean, they wanted to do everything except, you know, run track some of those cars made in Detroit over you. <laughs> <laughs> Not easy. Not easy. It was. It was. It was very challenging. And during that time, I think you'll remember, Joe. Uh, we found a bullet on our uh, an unspent bullet on our front porch. Uh, so that's that's Detroit for you. That was the Detroit under Mayor Coleman Young, as far as I'm concerned. So no, I I was not a fan. 
still not a fan. Uh, I know he did a lot good for it, but boy, those were tough times. But you and 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 the point is, you had to be under his con- you you were under his control. Yes, that's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. Yeah, yeah, it was what he wanted. I the, I, I, I I in the book I talk about this uh, meeting that I was called to. Um, there there are two meetings, and I, I in the book uh, Radioactive, where uh, I'm called to. A Saturday morning, I guess, kitchen cabinet kind of meeting. Uh, the mayor, the labor leader, the and 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 these people, a, a, a federal judge, and these were the, I mean, these were heavyweight folk, and uh, they called me to read me the riot act. You know, cause, and they wouldn't have done it if the boycott wasn't successful, and 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 bottom line was. We didn't give you permission. You didn't ask us if you could. Uh, and we want you to call the boycott off. It's too late. I can't call the boycott off. How can I call a boycott off when 70% of the people uh, have already started boycotting? And uh, boy, and that was one of the pressures. Get on television and call the boycott off. And then it got to a point in this meeting, uh, I said, you know, I and and you didn't have our permission. And I said, I don't need your permission to call a boycott. And him, and and it's one of the favorite one of the lines that Coleman Young look. He said, "Young man, you you know what? You remind me of myself when I was your age. But I'm going to tell you right now, you need my permission to fart in this city." <laughs> I what? And literally, they went to Ben Hooks uh, to say, "We don't want him in the city anymore." And 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 uh, and then it was a debate as to who would go. Then the show it got national attention, and it was a debate as to I I don't is uh, about who would go on the Today Show. Brian Gumble was the host at the time. Jane Pauley, and it shows you how long ago and and. Um, they wanted uh, Reverend Adams, Charles Adams. He should go on, not you. And Adams wasn't in favor of the boycott. <laughs> and and uh, but here's the bottom line. I, the bottom line is who won. You have to buy the book to find out <laughs> who. <laughs> who's a great teaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, who who actually won? Now the other thing is in the book, you know. With the editor, you started off, and this is your decision. It's interesting, uh, Dr. Canton. You started off, in essence, with um, the story about the uh, uh, being in Sudan. Yes. Um, and Sherry can speak to this. Both of you can. I think people would find uh, find that fascinating, too, because, uh, uh, let's see, why? So when, because people always ask, your first chapter has to catch people's attention. Correct. And you chose that one. Why? I think that was again the first of all it out shows you're working in Sudan, and I guess you know in terms of your commitment to doing something about you and your wife. And that airplane story is classic story. Again, it's a short story, but a very colorful story. 
well taught, well described, well written out. It really puts people in that in that place of wow, you know, this was showing your commitment to to helping those folks in Sudan, and you're willing to ride on a plane with barely any seat belts. You know, this is a no Delta Boeing seven three seven. So it really showed your sacrifice and your commitment. It ties in with your advocacy, your 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 your, your whole radioactive uh, career, and that's a perfect story to catch people's attention, and they're going to want to read more. And what? And you remember what, Sherry? Uh, the the real the interesting part, Sudan, South Sudan, uh, as it is now known, it was just Sudan, part of the whole one major country. It was then. a civil war one going country. on, right, right? Yes, and uh, it 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 it's like you're living three hundred years ago with people with clay. Uh, huts, thatched roofs, uh, cooking outdoors, you know, uh, just it, it's it's like it was 300 years ago. It hadn't made progress. Pumping uh, water from wells. Uh, so, but out of that, you had some tremendously compassionate and wonderful people uh, who worked very hard, who... Um, would go out of their way to help each other and welcomed you, recognized what you were doing on their behalf and so appreciated it, so appreciated it. But it was, it was difficult. It was difficult uh, uh, to well, say the, the least. The, the story about, um, the, the story about uh, uh, being on the plane. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and you, you, you're asking where's the seatbelts? Yeah, as an old flight attendant, right? Right. And as why Dave said, it's not a 737. This was an old Russian uh, cast-off airplane propeller. And uh, we got on the airplane and sat down. There just a bench on one side of the plane, a bench on the other one. You're facing each other as you sit. And I reached down for a seatbelt to put it on. Well, one end of the seat belt had the metal clasp on it the other one didn't there was nothing there but a frayed canvas thing and i reached down to a couple of other more no better so what i wound up doing was taking one piece of it another piece of it and tying it literally tying it around my waist and that was my seat belt. Hmm. But it was also, because some of the guys who were uh, with the group, Christian Solidarity International, uh, you know, were laying up against uh, this big uh, oil drum, which was the fuel for, for the, the airplane. Plane, right? <laughs> for the plane itself. Yeah. They would roll it off the airplane when they landed, after they shooed the goats out of the way to clear the runway. Um, then they would fuel the airplane, roll it back on, and fly on because there were no fueling places. You had to take your fuel with you. And I said, what What kind of head do I need to have examined that a flight attendant, I'm on an airplane where we're riding in the same cabin with the fuel? And when I was struggling with the seatbelt, Joe said, don't worry about your seatbelt, honey. We're riding with the fuel. If anything happens to us, you know, we're we're done. We're cooked. <laughs> We're done for. I said, "Oh, that's really comforting." <laughs> now, the 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 one the uh, I the one story, and I know Sherry loves telling this story. Uh, 
and Dave Canton, uh, I, I guess you about where I almost got married. Yeah, you really have to understand the culture of people where you are, yeah. the area where you and, are. And, and Sudan, when we were in South Sudan. Yes, and so I said people are still pumping water out of wells, right? right? That's how you got your water. Uh, right. And uh, so we were near a well, and people were lined up and brought their containers and were pumping and, and, water. And, and now, hold on, and you say people, but it was all women. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, well, yeah. you're absolutely right. That's an important point. All women were stand lined up uh, early in the morning, pumping water for their day supply. And uh, one woman, you know, was, I don't know if she was kind of struggling, but she was a young woman, attractive. And Joe said, oh, let me help you. And he went over and took the pump out of her hand and pumped the water for The people in line just fell out laughing. I said, what on earth? And I asked one of our interpreters, who was a native Dinka, uh, I said, why are they laughing? He said, because uh, people don't, uh, men don't help the women do this. This is the women's job, is to pump. And the, and if you do that, you're showing her favoritism. You know, your husband probably in, just proposed essence, to her. <laughs> he just proposed to her. He just proposed <laughs> to her by showing Ooh. her that favoritism. I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I one wife because they have multiple wives, many of them. I said no, 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 and I reached over and teasing, grabbed Joe's hand, said, "Let's go, let's go." No, he's already taken, and they laughed even harder. And I said, "What's going on?" And he said, "Women don't touch men away from their homes either, out in public. They don't touch." Yeah. And you just guided him away, so they find that really amusing. It's nothing that they are accustomed to. This is, uh, and and I got to tell you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The one thing uh, that uh, I, I about the book is the is the the fact you can go to that index. Man, I'm so glad we did the index. And 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 uh, Dr. Canton, explain because you you've done these books. Right. Uh, is. Well, how important it is for the index. I mean, uh, folks who do books, I, they understand that. But one of the benefits is it. Well, index provides the names. So you go to the back of the book. Let's say you're in a hurry or something, or you want to after you, after you listen to our interview, you purchase the book, and you you want to look up a particular section of name. You go to the index. You can see, you know, uh, Kwasi and Fume. You can see Stephanie Miller, Bernie McCain. You know, all these different names, the National Press Club, and just really demonstrates, you know, Joe's long career and being radioactive. And I think that's what makes the index so important. So if you can't get to the whole book, you want to get to a section, or you know someone who you might want, who's interested in buying the book, you can go to the back and share the names with them. They can look them up and then want to read more about them. But uh, Joe, if you don't mind, do you mind uh, talking about your, your whole radio, your radio talk career to some to some degree? I think people for younger audience don't realize that you've been doing this a very long time. Uh, I think you're really talking about how you got into radio and your long-term impact in talk radio. Well, I'll, I'll do this. Let's. Uh, uh, Daryl is saying we should take a break at this uh, at this stage, and okay. and um, all three of us can can discuss it uh, to uh, to a degree. The book, uh, and and by the way, we found out not too long ago, it is uh, on several, it's listed on several 
what do they call it? I well, it's number one bestseller, uh, and on several um, platforms, and that's because of those of you. So let me do this. Um, I don't know why we're holding on to Krista and Thomas. So let's do this. Uh, let's take a break. And if you have any questions, one, you uh, now would be a good time to call in. Uh, if you have purchased the book and have had opportunity to read it, love to get your uh, your uh, reaction or questions that you might have, and we'll do that right after this. One eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. Doctor David Canton co-author of uh, my first book. Man, I can't tell you how many times people say, you got to write a book, you got to write. Everybody really has a book in them, and I, I firmly believe that now. This book is Radioactive, a memoir of advocacy and action on the air and uh, in the uh, street. And uh, we're, you know, these, it, there's some interesting, I I like to think that there's some compelling stories uh, about life and my life and career. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, Doctor Canton, that uh, that I always find interesting is that people really think they know you mm. because you're on the air. I mean, because they they really think, oh, I I know you, I know you, I know you. And so they they they'll there's some things uh, that um, I'm certain they probably said wow I did not know this I've got friends that I've known all my life uh, that I went to school with from kindergarten and they said I didn't know that part you really don't know everything do you about about uh, to folk about people I mean that's just that's why you do memoirs right right. Right. So I think, right. So for instance, your, the chapter we did on your prostate health, I, yeah. think, right, I think that was a very moving chapter because we know black men's health is a major, major issue. You see it on TV, you hear about it, but if someone's a listener and they read it in your book, so I kind of know you, but now I really know you and really that, let me go check out my health because it's really hurting African-American men, uh, the prostate cancer. So I think sharing that story and still able to do your show, be vulnerable, and show other African-American men, go get your health checked as soon as possible. So I think that was commendable on your part, being open about it. And I think for a lot of African-American men, there's this fear of the doctor, you know, because obviously the history with Tuskegee or, you know, and there's been some, you know, legitimate concerns, but time to go get your health taken care of as soon as possible I think, like I said, they know you, but reading the book, I really know you. Now I'm more likely to get it checked out. Not only you talked about it, but I read about it. And I have it in my hand to, to build up the confidence to go get my uh, prostate checked and my other health things checked. Because a lot of health, as you know, for African-American men, is preventable. Diet, walking, exercise. You also share that in your book about with your, your stomach surgery. I think, again, and how you help fight the, to get the insurance companies paid for it. So again, these are that two was uh, that was in reference to weight loss, right? Uh, and and, and insurance companies wouldn't uh, wouldn't cover it, right? And we had to fight. I mean, not, not literally, but figuratively, fight these uh, fight the insurance companies, and ended up 
not only finally getting insurance uh, to pay for it, but it, it ended up for everybody. Right. That's the advocacy so they, part of it, yeah. Right, there you go again. So here's two stories dealing with health and through your advocacy, and now my move other African men to go out, maybe the same thing. Maybe I'm scared that insurance won't cover X. Well, following your lead, if you fight hard enough, you can get your whatever covered by insurance. So I think those two health stories are really pertinent to your audience. I think now with it being in writing, I think it adds to the stories. Now I can actually read it, get empowered by it, and go do something about it. That's why it's the strength of books. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just the reality. When it's in writing, it's written down. I think that tend to move people more because they can read it know what to do and make the next positive steps in their life. Let me, you know, I'm going to bring and Joe. Sam. Yeah, Sam. I'm yes. just well, ready I... to bring you in. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to add a powerful story because I, and I was there for it. And that's one of the reasons I think about it, remember it. But when you talk about uh, Sherry's stroke. Yeah. And that's right there in the book and how that wasn't just a scare, a, I mean, an emergency, but within days, the doctor, uh, Christopher Guerrero, was in studio explaining, here's how to identify a stroke. I think a lot of listeners might not be aware of this story, but it's in the book. You know, he was in studio with you, Sherry. Daryl and I were on the other side of the glass. And and it was it wasn't just interesting. It was important. It was educational. And and I really hope that that someone listened to that. Uh, that interview and and was able to save a life. Well, yeah, and and let, you know to go back uh, for those of you and and I don't want to give away the whole thing, but uh, we were doing the show, and and Sherry, our executive producer, Daryl will remember this. She says, "I'm not feeling well," and uh, I guess got a little dizzy. I don't. I think Sherry stepped away for a moment. And uh, I'm looking and I'm saying, something's wrong. I think you're having a stroke. And, I'm here. Oh, I'm no, here, oh, you're Joe. back. I'm, you're yeah. back. You tell yeah. the story. Go well, ahead. I'm here. And, 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 you know, part of this and one of the points I want to make, not clearly having heard everything that went ahead. Well, we just is, talked about how the doctor came on the show and yes. explained signs and symptoms and yes. that type of thing. Go wonderful. Uh, and he was a wonderful doctor, too. Um, but... You know, I I felt out of kilter, but nothing really clear. I still to this day don't know what those around me, Sam and Daryl, you, the three of you, saw in me that showed, told you that something was off. But clearly something was off. And you said something and you did something about it. You know, I went to the ladies' room. Uh, you went and got me aspirin right away. And I took aspirin, which is the protocol, exact right thing to do. And I went to the ladies' room, and we were going to the hospital. And I said, oh, no big deal. You know, I'll wait until after the show. No, you know, we'll work it out. I went to the ladies' room, and from down the hall was Laura Coates, who said, are you okay? I said, yeah, kind of, I don't know, you know. And so she had me do... Uh, an exercise where she looked and she said, nope, something's wrong. You're having a stroke. Let's go. You need to go to the hospital now, mm -hmm. right now. 
So we went out, and that's what I did. Went to the hospital right now. So she knew the signs. She did something about it. Now, see, I don't know if I was slurring my words or what was going on, but when you see something, say something. Well, she it was look in I the remember. mirror. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I, well, I remember in the studio you were describing you were feeling some numbness. You're right. Uh, just on one side. Uh, but, you know, we, at least for me, it it's so hard to just know. It's uh, unless you really get that education. Here's what to look for. You know, uh, there's no way to be uh, certain and to know how, how big of an emergency it might be. And that's why Laura Coates, she said uh, she saw some of that drooping mm-hmm. um, in your face, I think. She's yeah. looking at you. And, uh, I mean, the other reason I remember it is, Joe, you, when, when once you knew it, you were out of there instantly. And the show was still alive, and Daryl and I just took <laughs> Just had to get yeah, you, guys, for the you guys were looking at each other saying, no, what no, are we, we going to do? <laughs> because you have to laugh because Joe says, how many times has he shut it? Oh, I'm going to just leave it to you guys one of these days. I'm yeah, just leave- yeah. That, was a, that was a test. <laughs> that was the day. Now, and and, uh, and uh, the other uh, thing, uh, oh, and I've got to tell you another funny story that in, in that is is in who wants to tell the story about our friend who went to the White House with us? <laughs> Nameless. No. You can Okay. All right now. Huh? Well <laughs> he he he's 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 got he's he's read it. Who wants to uh, go ahead, everybody speak up. About well, whether we had an invitation. Joe had an invitation to the White House. Right. Uh, the Obama was Do you want to interview President Obama? He called. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, recording by radio, by you know, by phone or what? No, well, record. Yes, uh, but I want him to come in studio. I, I want oh. you to come. No, I want you. Oh, we no, wanted want, him to come in studio. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, he he said. What it'll take place here at the White House. Oval Office, yeah. In the Oval Office at the White House. Whoa, radio interview at the White House, really? So, okay, Uh, I called our program director and said, this is what we need, which I need an engineer to go to handle this, to set everything up and to do the actual recording. He said, "Uh, no problem, this is huge. This is bigger than huge. And he said, fine. I'll go. I'll go with you. Make sure everything goes absolutely just right. Just right. And so he did. We got there. Now, and we, I think we, they we, said, we also have to point out, he, it, it, he took the place of the person who was supposed to go. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Thank yeah, you for yeah. reminding Don me. Wicklin. Don yeah. Wicklin, yeah. <laughs> you call him <laughs> Determined to bust him out. Don Wickman, the program director, decided he (laughs) was going to be the engineer that day. That's right. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Yes, yes. And so um, we get there and uh, we're recording the thing. And they told you what? We had 10, 15 minutes, was it, Joe? And, uh, uh, yeah, he said you have you have ten minutes with the president of the United States, right? Yes, ten minutes, and you know. 
We thought, yeah, right. And I think you consulted with somebody and said the president really controls his own schedule. He'll tell you how long that you have. That the 10 minutes is staff time. Yes. He'll yes. tell he will tell you when the interview is over. Go over. ahead. Yeah. And so we're talking. <clears throat> well, the staff is eyeing me because we're uh, President Obama has long answers. He's known for that. Um, and so he's giving us long answers. And so we're exceeding the 10 minutes and I'm trying to get Don's attention to get Joe's attention to give him the cue to wrap it up right because the last thing we want to do is get thrown out of the White House Mm -hmm. and not ever be talked or invited back and so Don is intent on the equipment and I could not catch his eye for anything not for anything he was on every single word Finally, one of the staff members went up and touched Don and said, look at me, tell him to look at me, and I said, let's wrap it up. Well, Joe got that signal, too, and President Obama. Uh, just about that same time, we heard... But but he kept talking. He kept talking. Yeah, he went yeah. beyond 10 minutes. I mean, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, we were oh, down there half an hour. This, yeah. When I, it was at 10 minutes when I was trying to get your attention right. and unsuccessfully and trying and trying and trying. And it was beyond well beyond 10 minutes when the staff member stepped in to get it and then get the signal to you. And he was still talking. Uh, so finally, and we were at, I think we were pretty close to 20 minutes by then into the interview. And we heard outside the rotor of a helicopter because the president was going to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And what's going on? And the president said, hey, Joe, hey, man. Uh, my I ride get is out here. Of here. My, you know, I'm going to Pennsylvania. Uh, my ride is here, man. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> and that was the clue. You, yeah, yeah, and you don't want a brother to miss his ride. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah we've done you don't it. want a brother to miss his ride. But then we, right? we get down to the press room the president's already gone on marine one yes we're down at the press room and but he tell don said to what don said oh i hope i've got this interview recorded right <gasps> excuse me i hope we got it <laughs> i hope we got it yeah i can hear dave canton laughing uh, <laughs> excuse me so what do we do who who tries to run out and flag down the helicopter. One, the helicopter. And say, oh, wait, where's the president? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Our hearts just dropped. <laughs> dropped, but, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. And fortunately, he did have it. Yeah. Uh, Dave Canton. Yes. Uh, you, uh, let me give you uh, your, your last uh, op- observation uh, as it as it relates to uh, again, radioactive, and what people? What will the younger generation get out of it? What 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 will I mean? Is is it intergenerational? I just you, again, this first time we've done this, so it's sort of like a dry run with the right. town hall meeting we're going to do in New York at the Sirius XM headquarters. But just your your final uh, observation, and then I'll ask Sam to give his. Go ahead. Oh, and it's well, only think, two minutes. Well, you looked at the first the forward that I wrote, Hooked on the Black Eagle. I think many people like myself, you know, uh, I grew up listening to talk radio. I was a Bob Law night talk fan in Philadelphia. 
And uh, my dad was the one who's a good fan of, of your show, told me about you, this Joe Madison guy. Like, and I'm like, I'm a, I'm got a PhD, I'm working on that. Like I should know everything about black people. Who's this Joe Madison guy? So once I got hooked on to you in 2008, it's like a journey. And in the forward, I talk about how before classes, you would bring up a topic. I would drop what I was doing in my class and talk about what you're talking about in the classroom. So really your power of, of talk and your stories that you shared, your activism and your personal stories is really what I get. I think from your fans, you know, when they read the forward and read the book, it's just a bigger connection to you and all your work. And they sit back and really reflect on of how much Joe Madison has contributed to making this a better place, a better country, not just for African-Americans, for all Americans, which you stress over and over, what are you going to do about it? So I think that's what I get from the book and how I got hooked and been hooked on the Eagle since 2008 and uh, really how it's helped even my students. In fact, one of my former students at Connecticut College, can't think of her name right now, was an intern for you years ago. Wow. So these connections are just ongoing between between you and me. The uh, the book, I, I please let me encourage. It's available hardback and paperback. Uh, you can go Amazon dot com, but you can go to JoeMadison dot com. Um, and uh, I would I would encourage you to get it. And and you know that's the other thing. Please read the forward. Um, I, I think that's uh, I, I I think that would be a good place uh, uh, to start, and you can jump around from chapter to chapter. I only have thirty seconds left, but hey, Dave, thank you for taking the time this morning uh, to uh, to talk about this, uh, and uh, and Sherry, I appreciate again because you're written in every every page, or as Gladys Knight would say, in between every page. And I appreciate it. And Daryl and Sam appreciate you. Boy, we had a. This has been a fascinate, another fascinating day. And congratulations, soon to be confirmed, uh, Judge uh, Jackson. Congratulations, Katanji Brown Jackson. All right. Yes. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All appreciate right. you all. Appreciate you. Radioactive. Get a copy today. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.